The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Today, we're talking about sharks. And sharks, as you all know, aren't doing as well as they used to. There are fewer sharks in the oceans. And uh, so we recently... um, talk to some people who raised the idea of establishing a shark sanctuary. So we're going to talk about a shark sanctuary today off of Florida, and my guest is Noah Randall. Uh, hi, Noah. Hi, Rob. Noah is a, was a participant in the high school summer, um, summer program at Sea Education Association in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. And so uh, Noah's been on the ocean looking back, at the shore, and also has been uh, swimming under the waves and seeing some things there, too. Noah, it's great to have you here today uh, on the program. Noah is uh, going to be attending uh, Smith College in fall and is working here at the Ocean River Institute as our spring intern. My other guest today is Ryan Shikansky-Moyer. Hi, Ryan. Hello. And Ryan um, has been helping out here at Ocean River Institute for some years now, right? And uh, and I also want to note that uh, we are going to be, or the Ocean River Institute and me, are going to be in Stewart, Florida for a special uh, fundraising dinner auction with Sunshine Wildlife Tours on Thursday, March 26th. We're going to be over at the Miles Grant Country Club in Stewart. So you're welcome to come on down, and the tickets are about $50 per person and that includes the salad and the dinner and the dessert and the beverage. And we're going to have music and dancing and uh, some words about different advocates who have been saving the environment down there, uh, including uh, uh, cleaning up uh, Indian River Lagoon and probably a bit more about sharks and the sanctuaries uh, to the east. Um, so this all began, the idea of a shark sanctuary was brought to my attention by Wolcott Henry, who lives in Jupiter, Florida, and Wool is, is, uh, is a board member, I guess, of the Munson Foundation, and the Munson Foundation has been supporting the Ocean River Institute in cleaning up the waters of Indian River Lagoon, uh, the Florida Treasure Coast there. And uh, so Wool had this, Wool had this new idea about um, the issue of sharks right off of Jupiter and Palm Beach. And the issue is that that part of Florida, around Palm Beach, is the closest portion of Florida to the Bahamas. So that means 
what do we figure, about 60 miles across? Yes. Something like that, 60, 65, uh, from, uh, from Florida to uh, the Bahamas. And the, the Gulf Stream squeezes through Florida and the Bahamas. It's called the Florida Strait. And there's a phenomenal amount of water flowing there. Uh, water is measured in, um, in sphere drops, and it turned out that there were uh, 30, 30 sphere drops. And each sphere drop is uh, a million. Well, actually, no one's going to give me the right denomination for that. Uh, yeah. Um, it's the equivalent to 1 million cubic meters per second. One sphere drop is... One sphere drop is one cubic meter, one million. million cubic meters per second, or about three million cubic feet per second of water flowing through the Florida Straits. That's a lot of water. That's, to get an idea of how much water... Oh, that's one, that's one, right? One. So, so one. So one is about how much water comes out of rivers around the world into the ocean or is flowing in the rivers. Right, all of the rivers combined is about is equal to one sphere drop, um, and the Straits of Florida is uh, has a current of or the yeah the water yeah. transported is thirty sphere drops. There's thirty times as much water flowing between Palm Beach and Bahamas as in all the rivers of the world combined. Combined. So there's a lot of water flowing through the Florida Straits. And then um, there are these different reef structures in the, so there's different depths in there. And as a result, um, or somehow related to that, you get these schools of sharks coming in there. And uh, they're not there all the time, but when they're seen, uh, it, 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 it's, it's interesting. And uh, so uh, Wolcott was telling me that, that there was a time when lemon sharks came through and there was an aggregation of 40 to 50 sharks off of Jupiter. And um, they, uh, the longliners went out and caught them all. They had a big hit. And they, maybe that's not the best thing for sharks to be given a big hit like that. So wouldn't it be great if this special place could be protected, a sanctuary, and how much sharks are hit there would be managed by the abundance of sharks. Um, and so uh, Wool has been talking with uh, recreational fishermen and they're very concerned that there always be sharks out there and, um, and how to best manage the, the, uh, the fishing population or the fishing effort in this specific body of water. So the, the area that we're talking about, Noah, for a, a sanctuary would be about what? Be about from Palm Beach or? Yeah, from Palm Beach to Stewart. I, I guess it was up to Stewart and maybe a bit south of that towards Boca Raton or... Right. Yeah. The key thing is, is off of um, Jupiter, Palm Beach. Um, so, so this is the area we're talking about today. And uh, yeah, I'm just looking for my notes of talking with wool. Um, there, there's also a lot of a number of, of wrecks off there. And the, the wrecks are important uh, habitat for Goliath groupers. And in August and September... The wrecks off of Jupiter um, see lots of Goliath groupers aggregating around there for about three, three or four weeks, and uh, so this that would be a good time to, to close. Maybe it is closed, but there needs to be closure period 
for when the groupers, groupers are abundant uh, because groupers, as you know, are an endangered or threatened fish. Um, so uh, Ryan's been looking into the geology uh, of the region and the different kinds of reefs off there. And what have you found about that? So the Florida Straits are off of the continental sh uh, shelf and in a region known as the Blake's Plateau. The Blake's Plateau is a flat, hard stone level, slightly above the abysmal plain, but mm. high, but still below the photosynthesis level. And it is intersected, and it is um, interrupted with outcropping, sort of like you know oases or you know tower structures of both. Um, uh, bio, um, bio humes, which are um, the uh, piles made of corals and silts and stones and stuff that have washed up there from the currents and, you know, build sort of like sand dunes do on the shore. And then there are the litho, uh, litho humes, which, um, are the, which are the stony outcroppings, like you'd have, like, the... Um, uh, Anastasia coquitas on the shore. Similarly, you have underwater these stone outcroppings and and sand boulder outcroppings. And upon those grow corals, both deep sea that don't use um, the don't symbiosis are below the sunlight level. Right. And the ones that are higher up, which do support that, and those are on the very edge of the shelf, uh, on the continental shelf above that. And so these are these little spots of highly nutritious, like high um, diversity pockets and otherwise just fast flowing, like, so there's sort of like a median strip, like in the middle of like a highway, you know, the little like green space where these rushing just tides of water are just scouring everything else right away. Right in the middle there, yeah. There are these interruption spots that, you know, all the fish that go there are, you know, found everywhere else because it's, they're going out to sea. They're, the water's not still there. no flowing along, but within that, there are these little pockets that those are protected from ground trawling, and historically, and and they created a park there, and it's those areas are protected from bottom score because they realize that these coral apartments are kind of rare. Right. It's not, it's not continuous all over the whole bottom. It's just in specific locations. So let me see if I got that straight. It's sort of like uh, steps where you have the continental shelf, and you have off the continental shelf is the abysmal plain, you're saying. And yep. then the first step up in the abysmal plain is this lake plateau. So that's like the undergirding of stuff. And then, and then rising out of that are like pinnacles or things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, you have, and you have seamounts and like geos, which are flat top seamounts, which are different from these, but like that's there's all more habitat. Right. Right. But but in the in the Straits of Florida, what we're talking about, you've got a little bit of fluorine, and then you've got the Blake Plateau, and then you've got uh, a shallower one, and then you've got the uh, continental shelf, uh, Ocalina. Yeah, at the edge of the continental shelf. At the edge, the edge of the continental shelf, there are steps down yeah. to Ocalina uh, reefs, and then Blake Plateau. The edge of the edge of the continental shelf is so the continental shelf slowly slopes down and goes up the very end, like a little like jut, which is the up under what. It, it goes. It turns up before dropping down to the um, abysmal plain. There. Well, no, to the um, Blake Plateau. Oh, okay. So right on the edge, before the Blake Plateau, yeah. and after the continental shelf, yeah. is that's where the Ocalina, oh, okay. where the water, where it actually gets Ocalina. high enough yeah. that you can actually photosynthesize and have um, 
uh, zoanthelic um, life forms, like corals that actually can... So Ocalina is the name of the reef, but it's also a kind of coral. It's a kind of coral, and the kind of coral that it predominates those reefs that can receive sunlight. Right, so Ocalina... Or above 100 uh, get kilometers. Right. Above 100 kilometers. So it's this little area that goes a little bit high. Meters, 100, yeah. 100 yeah. kilometer meters. Yeah, 100 meters, yeah. And meters, and, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, the deep sea corals... They have to function with no sunlight, so they have no zoanthella, right? No, yeah, they have no zoanthella, yeah. but they are still higher than, but they stick out above the floor of the Blake Plateau, which is just a roadway, it's just a highway, it's just flat. So you've got these different communities, these essential habitats, basically, um, of, of different coral, of um, corals of different depths, I guess. And then, well, you've got the deep sea ones, and you've got the sunlight you have, ones. Yeah, you have pocket and, corals in this otherwise... Yeah flat, just highway of water. So that 60-mile space between Florida and the Bahamas has got very different habitats when you go across it. It has very isolated habitats because it's not like, uh, you know, where it's spread out on the entire bottom, like, you know, like the coral reefs are, where it's just, you know, free, free, free. It's right. a highway of water going over this, yes. and they're little intermittent, you know, pockets of life that have, they're really, you know, productive because they have a lot of water rushing through, a lot of stuff coming by, but they're not, uh, they're a chain, so they're near each other, but they're not, it's not a continuous um, bottom life. It's interrupted, and so these sharks and other animals will come down to these reefs and visit them, and, you know, you know, like a pit stop. They're kind of like pit stops on this highway of just water that the sharks and all the fish and all the um, mesopelagic creatures just are riding down. So. so we're talking about creating a sanctuary in this unique pit stop on a unique highway because it's uniquely, you know, a lot of water flowing through there quickly um, compared to other places in the U.S. or any other international waters. It's a pretty special place for that geology that you just described. And it's hard to pick spots along a waterway because all the animals in the water column are moving all the way to Europe. So that the Gulf Stream varies a bit, and the current. Right, but this is the particular part where. But this is but this is the particular pit stop where animals will stop on their way to wherever else on the on whether they go either back to the continental slope or they go out to sea. It's sort of the breakway between those two mm. bodies of water, mm. or between those two zones. So let's cherish the pit stop. Uh, Noah, can can you tell us about what animals might frequent this? Um, well, obviously sharks. Okay, we're talking shark sanctuary. So, uh, Wool brought to our attention some sharks. Uh, tell us about those. Yeah, so there are two sharks that um, Rob mentioned. Um, the sandbar shark, or also known as the thick skin shark, um, and the lemon shark. So... Um, these two sharks are the major ones that have, I guess, been in decline and are threatened. Um, uh, and, and, I mean, there are also other seasonal sharks that spend time down at Florida, like the bull shark um, and the black tip um, and some others as well. But the lemon and the sandbar are the two major ones that really need protection. Right, because some sharks are going to be cosmopolitan, like the great white shark. They just move around and appear anywhere. But regularly they see sandbar sharks and, um, or seasonally, they see sandbar sharks and, and uh, lemon sharks. Um, 
Can you tell us more about those two critters? Sure. Um, so, I have a lot of information here. The sandbar... Um, so, well, I'll just start off by saying that right now, um, off the coast of um, Jupiter, there is a um, currently a commercial shark fishery, fishery that um, runs during the summer, um, and it's small and out of the three-mile line in federal waters, um, but it, it is still having an impact. Like Rob said, um, you know, it took those 40 lemon sharks out when they appeared, so... Um, <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> so great. Um, so these sharks, yeah, um, spend like winter, I guess, down in Florida, like a lot of people do. Um, they um, spend most of their time. Um, it's sorry. hard to see a shark being a snowbird. You know, a snowbird yeah. doesn't conjure up a picture of a shark. Right. Apparently, these sharks move north and south with the seasons. Yeah. Well. Um, so the, the sandbar shark um, is, I mean, I can describe it as sort of, it has, it's, has a tall primary dorsal fin and then a blunt rounded snout, so that's how you can sort of tell it. Um, it's about six to seven and a half feet in length. Um, and right now they are listed as vulnerable on the ICUN, IUCN red list um, of threatened species. So they're... I mean, they're not extinct, but they're they're vulnerable, so they need to be taken care of. Um, and the stock of sandbar sharks in the Northwest Atlantic was actually reduced by 85 to 90 percent, which is a really really large amount in the last 10 years. Um, Yikes! A yeah. lot disappeared or taken. Yeah, and recently, so um, from overexploitation. Um, and like along the coast of the U.S. because of these shark fisheries that were that are now um, getting becoming smaller, but I mean clearly had an impact. So, um, and that's why it's now vulnerable. Um, oh no! Right. Oh my gosh! So we're gonna have to take a break uh, with that bad news of yeah. disappearing sharks. And my guests are Noah Randall and Ryan Chikansky Moyer, and we'll be right back after this quick break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, I'm here talking about a shark sanctuary off the east coast of Florida, uh, off of uh, Palm Beach and Jupiter, uh, and my guests are Noah Randall and Ryan Shkansky-Moyer, and the two of them are working here for the Ocean River Institute, and they're paid hourly, and, and in the fall, uh, Noah's going to attend uh, Smith College, and Ryan um, has been working with us for a number of years, uh, but this is, you know, the Ocean River Institute is a small nonprofit. Um, this is about half the staff right here on the radio right now, between the three of us, and or I guess it's more than half the staff. Uh, and um, and we could use your help. So, you know, please, if you're able to, it'd be wonderful if you could uh, make a donation to the Ocean River Institute uh, to help us advance these different campaigns we're doing. Uh, and to do so, you can just visit us on. Uh, www.oceanriver.org and also it would really help if you could really help us just to get our messages out. You know, today's show is about a shark sanctuary. We did uh, other shows um, on other efforts like uh, saving the herring and uh, uh, I guess last week we were talking about saving elkhorn and staghorn corals. Yeah. Uh, so if you go to our webpage, there are six different campaigns to choose from. But um, please do that, and, and then please help us get the message out by, you know, forwarding either this program or something you care about that we're doing out through Facebook or Twitter. And then Voice America now has a – there's a Voice America mobile app, and you can download that, and it will enable you to um, – you can use it on your Kindle. You can use it on Apple. You can use it on a, a BlackBerry uh so this is a way to access our programs. You can go back 20 episodes of uh, Moyer's Environmental Dialogues uh, to, to, um, to, to keep informed and to get the word out about the different campaigns that you care about. And again, if you want to know more about us, uh, you can email me at rob at oceanriver.org. Uh, you can email uh, Noah and Ryan at info at oceanriver.org. I'll see that too, but that way you know someone's going to see it. I get a lot of emails myself. <laughs> and... Um, Again, OceanRiver.org is our website. Uh, Noah, you were telling us about the sharks off of Jupiter and Palm Beach, and you, you um, tell us quickly again how to identify the uh, sandbar shark uh, compared to a lemon shark. So the sandbar sharks are about six to seven and a half feet in length, um, and their primary dorsal fin is pretty tall, um, and they have a rounded snout that's... Um, and they 
are um, blue, gray, or brown to bronze in color on the dorsal side, um, and on the on the ventral side. Yeah, the bottom side. Yeah, on the ventral side, on the bottom side, they they're whitish. Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, the sandbar. that's the sandbar. And the lemon shark. Um, this is really easy to tell because both the primary and secondary dorsal fins, the fins on top, um, are short and like nearly equivalent length, so they're pretty much the same size. So if you see two fins that look the same cool. next to each other, you know it's Chance a lemon shark. Chances are the lemon. Right. If you see one much bigger than the other, right. then it's so a sandbar. sandbar. Um, and this lemon shark, um, as the name would make you think, it's yellowish in color um, on the top side. So. Well, that's quite a difference. What color is the sandbar? The sandbar is grayish brown. Yeah. It's kind of hard to see colors because I've been there on the beach. Yeah. And as the waves roll, you literally see the shark inside the wave. Mm. You know, its, it's fins might not be coming out. I, mean, I guess it would be if it was a sandbar, but uh, this shark it wasn't. And right. um, So maybe that was a lemon shark. But um, that's really helpful to, to see the difference and stuff. Um, yeah, so... Um, and then you were telling us about there's been a great loss of sharks. Right. 90% have been fished out, you were saying. Yes. The commercial shark fisheries have been have been getting their catches and taking as much as they can. Um, and it's it's been super hard for especially the sandbar shark to rebound and, you know, get its numbers back up because um, these sharks, they have about 9 to 12 months gestation period and they don't, they can't really have that many um, young, so it's hard for them to get their numbers up quickly. Right. You were explaining that with another shark. They give more like live birth, don't they? Right, yeah. yeah. The lemon shark also is having that issue. It's What does that mean? I mean, sharks are supposed to let the fish lay eggs, right? Right, so it lays, it's called, um, so I think, I don't okay. think both of these are oviviparous, but... Oh. Um, the sandbar is, I guess, you said they were having a hard time recovering. Yeah, maybe they... Yeah, sometimes some certain sharks um, lay eggs within them, and then the as the shark is developing, it feeds on the yolk rather than getting um, nutrients from the mother. But then it's the egg hatches within the mother, and then it has live birth. Right, and so because of the mechanics, you're going to have a lot less baby sharks coming out of that kind of a mother shark than the one that lays the whole mass of eggs. Right, like the skates. You always see skate eggs on the shore and yeah. stuff. And they're related to sharks, and so they must have a higher reproductive rate than do these sharks that Definitely. are oviparous. Um, so, has there been any um, management effort for these overfished sharks? Yeah. So, um, the sandbar shark actually, um, there has been um, implementation to um, of like some more fishery regulations um, along the Florida coast, which has been good, but. I mean, they're still suffering. And the lemon shark um, is not as in, is uh, right now, this is um, near threatened on the IUCN list. So the other compared, one's threatened? compared to vulnerable. Or compared to vulnerable. So um, I think less it's worse? less in danger. Oh, okay. The lemon's less in danger than the sandbar. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so but overall, they're not good anyway. No, either, I mean. And apparently, the, the management efforts of, of the Southeast Marine Fisheries Council is not enough. Well, it, it is what it is, and so we need a sanctuary to take it a step further in those specific, a sanctuary will take it a step further in those particular waters, in those right. particular waters off of, 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 um, 
Palm Beach and, and uh, you know, maybe up to Stewart down to Boca Raton. Uh, yeah. They need to have stricter enforcement because the sharks are more vulnerable to the fishermen because there's much less area that they congregate in. And so right. it's easier to go out. And fortunately, that uh, it's fortunate to the ecosystem that they're using long lining to hit those sharks because it doesn't mess up the coral reefs that Brian was telling us about. Right. But it's a very efficient way of catching the shark. Yeah. <laughs> I also found some other information about um, this area off of Florida, um, for north of, I guess, all the way up to South Carolina from, like, around West Palm Beach. Um, the National Marine Fisheries Service um, classified this area as essential fish habitat for juvenile lemon sharks. So um, there is... Um, like, you know, a little bit of publicity about how it's important that these sharks be protected, but um, just, you know, saying that it's essential fish habitat doesn't mean, you know, anybody's really going to necessarily pay attention to that. Well, this this sanctuary would be in a portion, right, a the portion very southern of portion of that essential fish habitat, right. essential shark habitat. And so that's that's another reason why you need within the larger habitat of course. a um, designated... Um, probably no take zone or at least stricter take zone than um, and that's the thing about these sanctuaries is they're not necessarily a marine protected area in that uh, they determine what's the, the proper management to just so the fish can survive right. and, and reproduce and the fishermen can always fish the area. The idea is not to exclude the fishermen. The idea is to have responsible stewardship so that the users can always use uh, be they surfers or fishermen or sailors or, um, you know, oil drillers I have a hard problem with, but most <laughs> other users I'm you know, yeah. able, to, able to use. And this area specifically I think is really important, but, um, I mean, in addition to all the other reasons why we talked about, but um, with the changing climate, you know, changing weather temperatures, the um, lemon sharks have actually been seen to stay um further south towards Jupiter, and they've been staying longer. So they've, um, or that's what researchers think right now. They actually haven't been able to do a lot of research. Interesting. So the researchers are finding indications that lemon sharks are favoring more the waters off Palm Beach than the waters to the north than they used to. Right, and they're staying even longer. I think they think now they're staying from around, like, late November to early April, um, so mostly in January and February. So, um, this is a pretty long season to be spending, you know, all the way into April. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty far. So um, it's a it's an important habitat for these sharks. And um, I think it even it's even more of a reason that um, there's really little known about the reproductive and breeding behavior of these sharks, um, which occurs in this area. Um, so, you know, protecting this area and um, allowing those sharks to live their natural life and not be totally, you know, decimated would allow also further research to occur and people to find out more about, you know, how those populations work. Yeah, the, the uh, Wolcott was telling us that, you know, the best information about this is by Sonny Gruber, and his, he's got a paper out which is like the seminal work on reproductive patterns of the um, lemon shark, and he's, he's working in, in the, right in the Bahamas itself, but that's right adjacent to this, so... Absolutely, that's a critical area. And the neat thing about having it become a shark sanctuary is that it brings national attention to this little piece of water and 
people want to help out. People want to monitor. They, you know, we need to have more observers to observe when they're there, when they're breeding, those kinds of things. So by making it a sanctuary, it, it brings more monitors involved so that everyone can make sure that everything is being handled smoothly and things being taken aren't so extreme that populations are going down. And I think people realize more the significance of the area and what important and special place it is if it's, you know, brought to national attention like this. Absolutely. Because when you go to the beach, you know, you really don't, you can't see the Bahamas over there. So you don't know if you're standing on a beach that's close to the Bahamas or right. 156 miles up the shoreline and, and, you know, looks the same on the beach there. Um, so um, do you want to say a little bit about the other types of sharks? Um, well, I know that there yeah, so the other seasonal sharks that spend some time are like the bull shark, the black tip, the spinner, the hammerhead, and the tiger shark. Um, so those are also pretty common in this area. Um, and, of course, the great white, you know, follows the coast, so it, it occasionally comes down. Um, wow. How many sharks is that? One, two, three, four, six-ish plus the other two. So Six other, species, six other sharks. Right have been seen in the waters and stuff, and we don't know how regular they are. But, right. Um, but, you know, once again, it's worth visiting these waters, this sanctuary area, in the hopes of, you know, increasing your shark life list or something. I haven't got to that yet, but uh, I'm not sure I want to be next to sharks. But um, And then there are other creatures in the area, too, I imagine. Definitely. Um, you were saying the Goliath grouper um, is, you know, a fish that spends a lot of time down there. Um and, yeah, so this fish, if you don't know about it, it's, like, pretty big. They, it can be, like, up to eight feet long and 500-plus pounds, so they're, they're quite, um, they have quite a presence. Um, and, you know, they grow up in the mangroves, which are also sort of a threatened habitat. Um, Absolutely. We had a whole program uh, a few episodes back with a gentleman, his name I forgot, who builds grouper houses. Wow. So there are these cement structures, big holes in them, and so the grouper can climb into the hole and hang out there, and he's got smaller holes for other marine life to use and stuff. But they're custom grouper, uh, grouper habitats, mm. uh, and that's, I think he's in Jupiter area too. So, um, you know, we can put some of the, well, they, they like to be up in the mangrove swamps. You want to have them also. Right. Um, and they used to be overfished by commercial sphere fishermen, um, and but they're now in recovery, um, and something that's um, that people like about them is that they don't really feed on fish targets and um, fish stocks that fishermen like to feed on. I mean, that fishermen like to take. So right. it doesn't. They don't really impact that. Now, if you're catching scop off a dock, you're not going to bump into the uh, scop. You're going to bump into the groupers so much. Right. Good for them. Isn't that nice for the groupers? <laughs> <laughs> Good for us. And um, do you see turtles around? Oh, definitely. I think um, there are the three main types of turtle that are seen most in this area are the loggerhead, um, the green turtle, and the leatherback. Um, actually, about the loggerhead, about 80% of the nesting of these loggerhead turtles um, in the southeast is in the southeastern United States. It's in like the Florida counties along this area, so um, around from like Indian River all the way down you know, a little bit past Palm Beach. So um, it's a critical area for those um, turtles. It's really critical. We had, um, I was fortunate to have Carl Safina on an earlier program 
uh, on these episodes here. And Carl has worked closely in Stewart, Florida, in particular, and around the Jupiter shore about um, helping the turtles by uh, getting the, the, let, the street lights down so that oh, when the turtles hatch good. out, they don't mistake the parking lot for the moon or something yeah. and go the wrong direction. That's really so the whole communities up and down the shoreline have dimmed their lights and shaded the lights from the water side or some, whatever. There's been a really good effort to... Uh, make it more hospitable for the turtles when they hatch to get out there. That's cheaper. And I think maybe connected to that, there's been an increase in nests actually um, in the St. Lucie and Martin counties um, for both the loggerhead and the green turtles. So maybe that's a result of, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're populating more. At yeah, and, and the citizens have been involved in protecting the nest sites right. so they don't get preyed on by, you know, raccoons or whatever goes out there. Definitely. Digs around. Yeah. So there, I mean, there are a few, I can talk, there are a few other um, creatures that are pretty cool in these areas, like the manatee, um, which um, lives in the seagrass beds, um, and the manta ray is another really cool big ray that's actually related to sharks, it's in the same family, Um, and there are some crabs, too, that you can find along the the shoreline, Um, so like the blue crab and the fiddler crab, those are... um, you know, if you're on the beach, they're always fun to play with. Yes. Yeah. Um, but no shovel-nosed guitar fish. Not in this area, no. Right. So if you want to hear about shovel-nosed guitar fish, you have to tune into last week's episode where uh, Noah, you'd have to swim with them. Yeah, on the California coast. Yeah. So that's in the Garibaldi program. Yeah. A little plug for the other program there. <laughs> um, so this would be a fabulous place to be. Um, and... And because of the diversity, one of the criteria for, well, the two criteria, two criteria for a good sanctuary is interesting ge- geological formations. And uh, so Ryan's explained that to us and the, also the way the current flows through there. And the other important element is a good diversity of interesting wildlife. And it's certainly you've, you've covered that with the sharks and the turtles and the grouper and the um, manatee. And, you know, you've got dolphins going through there. Uh, so this is a place ripe for a sanctuary. And if you would like to help us see this become a sanctuary, please, the listener, please uh, visit our website, oceanriver.org, and sign up for our e-alerts so that you can be alerted to when things are happening uh, here at the Ocean River Institute and down there off the coast of Florida. And you can take pieces of those um, e-alerts and uh, link them to uh, your Facebook or Twitter, and you can pick which things you want to get out and around to your friends. But it would be really great if, uh, you know, you can help us get the message out for helping to save the ocean. And in today's program, we're saving the ocean by looking at a little piece of the ocean on the uh, eastern shore of Florida. So we're going to take a short break and be right back after this break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Connect. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking about a shark sanctuary off the eastern shore of Florida, and uh, my guests here are Noah Randall and Ryan Chikansky-Moyer, who are both uh, colleagues of mine here at the Ocean River Institute. Um, Please take a minute to visit our website, www.oceanriver.org, or you can see us on Facebook, Ocean River Institute. Um, You can uh, Twitter or tweet me at Ocean River Rob. And um, I'm also on uh, LinkedIn, uh, but we please help us get the messages out by uh, taking our um, information from one of those social medias and putting it onto your own Facebook or Twitter and, and spreading word. Um, there's also a Voice America mobile app that you can download that will enable you to, um, whether you're on a Kindle or an Apple or a BlackBerry or whatever, uh, you'll be able to access this program and the past 20 programs, and uh, that's a great way to get quick access to these things. Uh, and then you can forward the, the UL, UHL or whatever uh, to get the word out. Because uh, we're talking about creating a national marine sanctuary uh, just for sharks, um, and that's not an easy thing to do, but the timing is just right, uh, that uh, for the first time in two decades, NOAA, which is the National Oceanographic Atmospheric Administration, so they do the weather satellites and they do ocean stuff. NOAA invites communities across the nation to nominate their most treasured places in our marine and Great Lake waters for consideration as national marine sanctuaries. And so the road to nomination is long and fraught with challenges. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
So the first step is that the community builds a nomination, and what it, and then the community submits nomination to NOAA, and then NOAA decides, reviews it, and decides whether it's worth moving forward or not, and then um, it accepts the nomination. It takes a closer look, and it might not accept it, and then you have to reapply, address their issues. Then they accept the nomination, and then it's queued up for um, to become a National Marine Sanctuary. But the, the hardest step is the next one, which means that it has to be incorporated into a bill in Congress so that the House and the Senate approve it. Uh, and so there's, there's many different levels of work here. Yeah, the designation... Uh, process sort of takes the longest out of all of them after, you know, this is just the nomination and you have six steps within trying to make the nomination something that people look at. Exactly. And, but it, the steps go faster when you're strategic. So, um, the Ocean River Institute is well positioned in this because we are already working with, uh, the senators and congressmen in, um, Washington, D.C. They know us because of our other campaigns. Well, the Elkhorn campaign we talked about last week, we submitted over 3,000 letters from all 50 states and U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico, and they went to the committee members of that decision. And so we, I go to Washington, and the, and the uh, senators and congressmen love to meet with me because I'm there to talk about oceans, and it's more fun talking oceans than taxation or war or the other issues that are going on and stuff. So we've developed some pretty good voice there, and it's very important so that in this case, when the congressman from the District of Florida that has the shark sanctuary in it poses an idea, the other congressmen go, oh, we know the Ocean River Institute, and we know, we know that there are members of our community, our constituents, who support that thing outside of their district, which is the shark sanctuary. So we're, we're working that on one way, and you can help us by um, visiting our website and, and participating in one of those campaigns and getting known to your congressman via the Ocean River Institute, and that we give you a letter that you can hand to the, um, or we actually deliver your letter to the congressman. Uh, so for us, the biggest challenge is the very first step, and then they just say, community builds a nomination. But in order to have a strong nomination, you have to build a community. And the community has to include all the players. You can't just have a little subsection that, you know, the, uh, the most outspoken environmentalists uh, have to find common ground with the, the most dependent users because, you know, the, the politicians, they need to have all their constituents engaged in their stuff. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's why this radio program is so important, is that it's t we're telling the story of why we need this uh, shark sanctuary. We've got really cool, there are really cool sharks out there. There's really cool corals, as Ryan was saying. There are deep water corals that have no photosynthesizing because they get no sunlight. And then there are very photosynthetic uh, corals like the elk horn and the uh, staghorn are the most because they... Um, want the clearest water, and they bleach. They're the most susceptible to bleaching because they won't just grab their food out of the water. They really want to photosynthesize. So our challenge is to build a robust community of supporters for, for this. And so, you know, from the get-go, we need to be, and we are, we're working with 
uh, recreational fishermen, commercial fishermen, what are their interests, what are their needs, um, and how can we, you know, cohabit and, and co-use this, this resource. And so one way we do that is by having um, an annual dinner in uh, Stewart, Florida. And so this March, actually March 26th is the Thursday, and we're going to have the fifth annual Sunshine Wildlife Tours Ocean River Institute uh, fundraising dinner auction. And so the auction's one thing, and the dinner is one thing. You get people together, it's always good, and we pack the, the Miles Grant place. But what's, no, what's maybe more important is that we take the time to buy advertising in the local newspapers where we can put a, uh, we can get visibility on the issue. So um, we've been working for four years with the uh, five counties on Indian River Lagoon to have people not put fertilizer on the lawns in the summertime when it's the rainiest and hottest time. It gets most washed into the waters. And then it being the warmest waters, the algae and the longest sunlight light bloom the most. And that's when you're having the most dolphins dying. So we've now, all five counties have come around and passed responsible stewardship ordinances that are helping to clean up the waters in Florida. And so now we can turn to other issues like creating sanctuary uh, offshore of the lagoon for uh, sharks and, and all the wildlife that, that is found out there. Uh, so these ads, uh, the last ad we had a year ago said, it takes the pride of individuals to save a dolphin. Please join us for the fourth annual Ocean River Institute dinner, and we could talk a little bit about what's the problem and what people could do. So um, but once again, you know, we invite you to um, check us out if you're in the area. Uh, but more importantly, uh, if you know somebody in these, this area of Florida, the Treasure Coast, um, please forward to them our website, our, our Facebook connection, our, our Twitter feeds, uh, whatever your medium is, and I'm still catching up on some of those. Um, you know, spread the word because we want to know what their interests are in, in uh, having a sanctuary. A sanctuary means that um, these, this area, the critters in this area will be protected from abuse or overuse and that we can collaborate together to um, all enjoy the resource in the different formats and stuff. Um, wow, I just chewed up a whole bunch of time. Um, oh, but the, the other thing we were going to talk about is that there was a proposal for a reef, a right. poor sanctuary. Just north of where we were talking about, actually. It had to do with, um, part of it was, um, uh, it was it was included in the habitat area of particular concern that Ryan was talking about the Ocalina Reef area. Um, so this this proposal was for the um, was going to be for right whales and this Ocalina Reef. Um, however, Where is it located? Uh, this was just north um, from around like St. Augustine, Florida, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was the northern sections of right. the. Um, in River Lagoon, up to St. Augustine, Jacksonville, right. and then quite a ways offshore. So it was a pretty much bigger sanctuary than what we're talking about. Right. But what happened to their proposal? So um, their proposal, um, NOAA deemed was 
you know, um, not go to work because they did not have a diverse cross-section of the community. You know, not enough. Um, they had a lot of academics talking about, you know, why it was important for research, which is great. Um, and they had a lot of, you know, people saying it was like a wonderful tourism area. It, you know, attracts a lot of people. But there weren't really any remarks from fishermen, commercial or recreational, or other users in the area um, that might have an opinion. Right. There were individuals who said there was an individual fisherman, but no fishermen groups. Right. And and as they pointed out in the letter here, um, they um, did not include interest or support from the state of Florida, from counties in the region, or for a number of local governments. And and so that that's the really that's the difference between how the Ocean River Institute operates is that we're out there talking to the stakeholders. So I personally know Patrick Murray, the congressman in that area. Um, so I know he's already on board on this because we're at the Port Salerno Seafood Festival with our little table there at Ocean River Institute. And uh, the congressman comes by and, and we get to eat seafood together. Um, and, and so we're on the same page. But it's really important to also, I enjoy talking to the county commissioners because that's how I learn about the local issues. What What is the issue? And sometimes it's simply a misunderstanding. So when I went to Martin County and um, said, I'd really like you to stop putting fertilizer in the summertime because it's killing the dolphins. And Martin County's had the most dolphin deaths of any of the Indian River Lagoon counties. The commissioner turned to me and said, well, Mrs. Godrocks is upset about the algae on the beach that her grandchildren run into. And I said, Absolutely. That is a big concern, and reducing the uh, nitrogen input will affect that. So we found out what their issue is, and he became a big champion for this responsible bill because it addressed his issue, which was the algae on the beach for that politician. So it's very important that you find out what the issues are before you start the campaign so that for his district, he could campaign saying, I'm cleaning up the beach of algae, and another... Uh, county commissioner might say, we're saving dolphins or whatever. They're all for the same goal. And the, and the same thing for the sanctuary, where you're going to have people who are fabulously interested in sharks, but there's another set of people who are interested in turtles. And so we need to find out initially, you know, does this benefit the turtle, as you did, you know. Right. So, um, yeah, it's important to find the concerns of everyone in the area to make sure that, you know, this, this nomination um, would address all of their concerns. Nobody would be left out. Right. So, again, we urge listeners to get involved with the Ocean River Institute. Please visit our page, uh, oceanriver.org, and sign up for getting a free e-alert. Because in that e-alert, um, when we're ready and the decision makers are ready to hear from us, we will send out uh, a, mess, uh, a report asking you, please tell us why you care about this waters, why you care about a shark sanctuary, in this particular place. And so, you know, it may be that, that you want to extract a lot of stuff, and, and so we need to hear about that so that we can um, have your point of view and, and address how, you know, can it be addressed or is that going to be someplace where we differ? Uh, so we encourage people from all sides of the spectrum to speak up early so that we can include you in, in, in this uh, and include your concerns because it's not going to go anywhere if the nomination goes in and then some other group says, you know, no, I can't do this, you know, because of this reason, that's going to, then we have to circle back and include those people before the politicians will touch it. Uh, so that's the time, and I want to thank you. I want to, Ryan, how are you doing? 
I'm still here. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Noah, thank you, too. Thank you. And uh, together, uh, together with all the listeners, we hope you will, will join with us in helping to save the oceans. And thanks a lot for listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Until next time, uh, healthy, wishing you all healthier oceans and more wildlife in the ocean. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.